This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about structured settlements from Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements, helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by Allstate, American General, The Hartford, John Hancock, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome everyone to Ringler Radio. I'm Larry Cohen, head of Ringler Associates Northeast Operations, and we're certainly glad you could join us again today. Well, complications stemming from transvaginal mesh and lawsuits by women against the manufacturers, these are other cases of how a defective product can have a huge impact on a life. And for those of you who may be unfamiliar, transvaginal mesh is a type of mesh used to treat pelvic organ prolapses, stress urinary incontinence, and similar problems in women. Basically, the mesh is implanted through the vagina and is used to shore up pelvic organs that have become displaced due to age, childbirth, hysterectomy, or obesity. With the implantation came complications, and the FDA reported that between 2008 and 2010, more than 1,500 reports of problems associated with the devices in the repair of pelvic organ prolapse had been recorded, five times more than what the agency received between 2005 and 2007. Of course, this has resulted in litigation, and several multi-district litigation actions have arisen and uh, against these various manufacturers. And we're going to talk about all that today with our special guest. But my co-host today first is Heather Anderson from our Birmingham Ringler office. Uh, Heather joined Ringler Associates in May 2009, and prior to joining Ringler, Heather spent 12 years in the structured settlement industry on both the administrative and the consultant level. And w- welcome, Heather, to Ringler Radio, and glad to have you with us. Thank you, Larry. And our special guest today is Leo Dell from the Beasley Allen Law Firm down in Montgomery, Alabama. Lee practices in the mass tort section, and her current focus is on product liability actions really involving this subject, transvaginal mesh. Lee was appointed as a member of the Plaintiff Steering Committee for all four multi-district litigations in this area, and uh, she's quite important in this uh, in this arena. So, uh, Lee, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's uh, we've got two, two folks from Alabama on this show. Heather, you're in Birmingham, and uh, Lee, you're in Montgomery, and uh, I'm sure that uh, the weather down there looks awful good today, right? Sunny skies in Montgomery and 70 degrees, which is, um, this is really one of the probably four weeks of the year we have awesome weather. So it's well, a terrific ter- break. That, terrific break from the heat of summer. That's terrific. That's terrific. Well, Lee, we gave a brief overview at the beginning uh, about transvaginal mesh, but let's start with uh, a little more background on, on the topic uh, from your point of view. Tell us about this whole arena. Well, it's, it's the advent of these procedures was the early 90s, but we um, have seen the use of mesh, and it's made of polypropylene, polypropylene mesh used for uh, repair of pelvic organ prolapse and stress urinary incontinence um, come to the forefront really from 2005 forward. And a uh, tremendous number of products were introduced to the market and many of them um, now proving to be defective and causing just 
a tremendous number of difficulties uh, for women. And um, I noticed in the introduction, Larry, you're talking about the number of adverse events reported to the FDA being in the 1500 range. That's actually only for the adverse events associated with pelvic organ prolapse or mm-hmm. 1,700 associated with stress urinary incontinence procedures. And it's estimated that that's only 1% of the total number of adverse events that are um, taking place around the country. There are thousands, hundreds of thousands of these procedures are done each year. And um, uh, currently, according to uh, recent literature that's been published, as well as the discovery and litigation, it appears that up to 25% of these products fail or cause adverse events in some um, manner. And that's everything from erosion, and a lot of people don't know what that means initially, but erosion is is when the mesh itself uh, protrudes into um, an organ. It could be another, like the bladder or another organ or the vaginal wall, and sometimes it even pierces or perforates um, those organs and causes a lot of difficulty. Well, I think we're going. I think we're going to talk about some of that in a minute. But uh, sure. all of these numbers you're mentioning, uh, I'm sure, come as a surprise to a lot of folks out there. I don't think many people think about the complications for this for the from these procedures and from these issues. Uh, it, was this was all this a surprise to uh, the you know the legal community as well, did, or did it did it come on rather suddenly? All these uh, issues around surrounding transvaginal mesh, or or was this a, a long simmering problem? I think it's been a long simmering problem, and uh, we, because of the increase in the number of procedures using mesh, we're I've, we're seeing a lot more women with difficulties, and um, I think for. Um, uh, several years, uh, doctors were unsure what was causing some of the pain, the chronic infection, mm-hmm. the uh, painful intercourse that women were experiencing, and and they did not associate it with the mesh. But last year, uh, in July of of 2011, the FDA. Uh, issued a bulletin, which is quite rare for them to do this. And in the context of pelvic organ prolapse or POP procedures, they basically said the serious associations with the surgical, serious adverse events associated with the surgical mesh um, are not rare, mm-hmm. and the uh, effectiveness is not known, and more traditional procedures um, should be considered. And when I say traditional, that's referring to suture-based procedures that have been used for, um, you know, many, many, many years to repair these uh, issues with women right. without any of the serious complications. That, that's that's yeah, it's very, very interesting. Lee, are you finding that women are requiring surgery to remove the mesh? Or, and are we looking at multiple surgeries here? Or, or what are some of the ways that they can, um, that, that, that this can be cleared up? Well, because uh, many women are having to have surgeries, if they're having difficulties with the mesh, they're requiring either, and some of the procedures are are more minor, they can be the clipping, but for most of our clients, they've had uh, major surgery to try to remove the mesh, and because the mesh um, breaks down uh, inside the body, that removal is very difficult, and so this results in a woman having multiple procedures, and and oftentimes at the end of those procedures, she still has mesh remaining uh, in, in her body. So there's a long-term impact from the removal uh, aspect of all this uh, on these on the women. Tell us about how it's affecting them uh, 
you know, even psychologically? Well, I, for for many women, particularly those who had the procedure, um, and maybe they weren't having a, um, great difficulties at that point, and they have the procedure that's supposed to repair this minor problem, and all of a sudden they have chronic pain, chronic infection, um, uh, they have uh, incontinence, and um, painful intercourse, all these things obviously have huge emotional and psychological effects on a woman. Mm-hmm. Depression, um, even the chronic pain alone. And some of our clients, as I've talked to them, they've just shared how to be in pain all the time, um, it is a huge emotional and, and psychological weight. And um, they've had great uh, difficulty. And then even post-removal of the mesh, uh, they continue to have pain because of the damage to nerve endings in such a sensitive area of the of the female body as well as um, scar tissue that develops because of the surgery. So you could have permanent incontinence, um, hmm. chronic pain, and and um, you can imagine all the impact that has not only on your um, your your sexual relationships but also just in life how you handle all the things that women um, are required to handle it can be a very difficult um, situation that's just tragic I mean truly well let's talk litigation Um, the US judicial panel on multi-district litigation recently granted motions creating uh, MDLs against three of these transvaginal mesh manufacturers and can you tell us a little bit about that Lee? Sure. Um, there are actually now five MDLs. Um, the BARD MDL has um, has been ongoing for about three years. It's the most mature uh, consolidated litigation, I, I would say, in the federal system. And they're now um, there's an MDL for American Medical System um, products, Coloplast, Boston Scientific, and Johnson and Johnson. And there's also um, some state court consolidated litigation around the country as well. What and what are your thoughts on centralizing the litigation? Has it been a good move? What 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 do, what do you see as the pros and cons of uh, of doing that? I think um, by far the 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 pros uh, outweigh the cons uh, for for women that are having these problems because of the massive nature of the discovery that's necessary because of the similar issues across cases um, having um, uh, num it's it's really a not a small number it's it's less than it's about seven courts handle a lot of these issues just helps progress things across the course of all litigation all cases and whereas if you had um, uh, these cases um, peppered around federal courts uh, throughout the country, and they would be in all 50 states as well as state courts, you would find that you'd have so many inconsistent decisions. It would be very hard to um, advance the claims of, of of the women as a whole, but even individually, it would be very hard to, to um, resolve them and, and litigate their their rights in a way that would right. be effective. So MDLs, I think, are, are a great thing, but also there's just a state court litigation in New Jersey as well as, um, as Minnesota and California, and uh, those are also consolidated for particular defendants. Well, you know, Lee, tell our listeners uh, a little bit more about how the FDA has been alerted to this. Uh, how far back do these reports about problems go? Uh, talk a little bit about, uh, during this discussion, talk a little bit about some of the complications arising again that we, we touched on earlier. Uh, you mentioned erosion. Uh, 
And what about organ perforation, pain, and the infections? So, so the, these these issues have arose uh, over time, and the FDA has been aware. How far back are these reports, and uh, have there been any you know recall uh, notices out there? Well, the products were um, placed on the market. Uh, some of the earlier versions of these products were placed on the market in the 90s, early 90s, and there have been problems uh, reported since then. But uh, as we know, um, adverse events are not reported often to the FDA um, right. in post-market, um, post-market adverse events. And so uh, the FDA became focused on this issue in 2008 when there was just such a large increase in the number of adverse events. As, as I see the problems related to the FDA, it is the approval process. All of these products, in large measure, were not subject to pre-market testing. Hmm. They were approved and placed on the market through the 510K process, which does not involve pre-market testing. And the mesh that is uh, used in these uh, products was actually used for hernia repair. Mm-hmm. And and they decided maybe it would be a good idea to use them in um, in, in POP and SUI uh, repair. And it, as you, we all know, the female anatomy is far different in the, um, yeah. in, in the reproductive tract than a hernia. And um, so uh, it was, um, it's astounding to me, actually, that these products were approved by the FDA under that um, procedure, the 510K procedure, and not subjected to any pre-market clinical testing. And mm. and I think that's something that needs to change because had it been subject to the testing, I'm not sure these products would be on the market. And some of them, from design to uh, implementation into a commercialization process, the, the time period was as short as 45 days. And I find that to be, you know, shocking. So bottom line is, um, Larry, to answer your question, there have been some um, recalls by J&J and AMS, American Medical Systems, another manufacturer, and uh, and I suspect you're going to see additional recalls in the future. Well, that's interesting. And, you know, just as an editorial comment on your part, uh, do, you, do you think part of the FDA's, uh, you know, lack of this approval process back then, is it your opinion that it was uh, – it was because more it was more of a female issue, or, or do you think it was just a, an overall lapse on their part? Well, the 510K procedure is used for medical devices across um, the medical field. So, in that sense, the the use of that procedure for approval of these products is no different than some of the other medical devices that okay. we've we've heard about in the past. But but I will say, if I could offer this as a from a female perspective, um, I'm not sure that if this were a uh, a type of procedure that was used in the male anatomy, that it would have been uh, done as long as it has been. <laughs> I, 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 I sort of expected that answer. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Uh-huh. Well, I don't. I, I don't want to cast aspersions on your gender. Uh, no, Larry, no, but no. I think. I think his opinion. history has kind of shown that, uh, in, to some degree, uh, you know, what you're saying is is probably more right than wrong. Well, let's take a quick break right now, and uh, let's get back in a couple of minutes and have more on this very, very interesting topic with Leo Dell and my guest host Heather Anderson. We'll be right back.
This is Ringler Radio from Ringler Associates, the leader in the structured settlements profession nationwide. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Associates works with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best financial plan. You can count on Ringler Associates to structure a customized plan that meets the needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. There's a Ringler Associate in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experience than a Ringler Associate. Check out our new website at www.RinglerAssociates.com for the best information for claimants, legal professionals, and claims personnel, and to find the Ringler Associate nearest you. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm Larry Cohen, your host. And uh, Heather Anderson and I are joined by our special guest, Leo Dell, from the Beasley Allen Law Firm in Montgomery, Alabama. Well, Lee, you were appointed as a member of the Plaintiff Steering Committee for all of these MDLs, and I understand there are five MDLs now, uh, by Judge Goodwin. Uh, tell us about your role on the committee and your reaction to uh, what is uh, evidently a high honor. Well, I first uh, I would say I feel uh, extremely honored to be included in a group of lawyers that are um, providing leadership to the litigation on the plaintiff side, and uh, it's a it is a, um, a a hall of of fame group, and I don't feel actually that uh, I feel very <laughs> honored to be mentioned in that group, and and um, and humbled for sure, and the. Um, my role will be um, uh, to uh, assist in um, providing leadership uh, for uh, the discovery and uh, some of the sort of the legal briefing aspects of it. And 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 because the the group um, there we have five M- MDLs and there's um, really a lot of of different areas to cover. My focus is on um, actually one particular. Defendant American Medical Systems, and um, mm-hmm. as as well as some others, but um, on the MDL, that's that's how we're we're divided, and and I'm very excited about um, being involved in that group. And and just uh, for our audience, uh, how how important is the steering committee in in pushing this litigation forward uh, as you go down the road? I'm I'm sure it's a time consuming process and it's an expensive process. How do how do you uh, how do you handle that? Well, it's it is um, uh, time consuming and um, and it's uh, the the functioning of the plaintiff steering committee is critical to advance the litigation for um, the benefit of those who've been victims of this particular um, defective uh, product and so it's critical that there's um, there's vision, leadership, and execution. And, and in each of these MDL, millions of documents will be produced, hundreds of depositions will be taken, and always with a, the eye on um, effectively um, uh, arriving at a, um, a point where these cases can be, can be tried. And so uh, it, and it's a great committee, and I, I look forward to the work in the, in the months and years ahead. Great. Well, Lee, clearly you're you're knee deep 
you know, with this litigation and, and obviously kind of at the heart of, heart of it all and, and have a lot of, um, uh, contact with the individual cases, the women that have been affected. What type, you know, what types of women is this affecting? Can you tell us a little bit about that or, or some real life examples of some, some folks you've been working with? I'd, I'd love to. One of the surprises to me as I began to talk with clients is that the age range is um, is is quite young. I mean, I think initially when I I heard um, that women were having uh, uh, pop procedures, pelvic organ prolapse procedures, like a bladder um, uh, a bladder had prolapsed, I thought that was for older women. And mm-hmm. um, but what I've learned is that many of the women who have suffered adverse events actually are in their late thirties, forties, um, young fifties, and um, what they thought was a very um, uh, simple and minor procedure to correct a problem like stress urinary incontinence, which was was not life-altering for them, they now have problems that um, will follow them the rest of their lives. And and they're young uh, and otherwise had been very active women. So we see a range of women from late 30s on up into the 70s and, and 80s, but there's a tremendous number of women that are in that uh, 40s and young 50s range, which is was surprising to me. I think, for example, of a client who... Um, was having, um, she had a, um, uh, she need, she was, excuse me, she was in need of a um, pelvic organ prolapse procedure, but was really having no pain. Uh, she, but she did have a, a uh, cystocele, which is a, a, a bladder that had um, dropped some, and and so she was preparing to have that procedure, and, and as she was talking with her physician, he suggested that she also have an SUI mesh um, procedure as well because many women do have stress urinary incontinence, and she wasn't having any grave difficulties, but um, but her doctor suggested it, so she had the procedure, and mm-hmm. that started a two-year cycle of pain, uh, infection, um, and the pain was not only pelvic pain, but because of the the uh, needles that are used to implant the mesh, there was pain in her that they go through a very nerve-rich area that affect the legs. She had pain in her legs. She could barely walk some days. Mm. And she's now had um, two um, surgical procedures to remove the mesh. And and you can imagine, it's it's been now three and a half years. And um, in addition to the the pain, just the effect it has on your marriage relationship and other issues has been really challenging. And, and this, but this client, she's in, she was in her very young fifties and, uh, had been in otherwise great health. And I think of another, um, client who, um, with tears shared with me that she, um, had the procedure when she was 39 years old. She had had a child within two years of the procedure and just had sort of was at the point of finishing her family and um and she had had some excess weight due to the pregnancies, very familiar situation and doctor recommended the SUI procedure and so she had it and um and now she has had three surgeries actually, has permanent incontinence and um painful intercourse and she's in her young 40s. And so it just breaks your heart when you think, and here's the issue, that s- s- traditional surgical procedures are 
um, often equally effective uh, without the danger of these complications. And so you have to ask yourself the question, why is mesh being used? And um, it certainly seems that in many instances, maybe not all, but in many instances, the risks far outweigh the benefits. Well, Lee, why don't you describe just quickly again to to bring this full circle? What what exactly is this is the mesh, and, and what is it made of, and why is it causing? Why are we causing all these complications from it? Well, when you think of mesh, some people have the mental image of say like surgical gauze, mm-hmm. something that's really malleable, soft, but that's really not the right picture. The right picture is a woven. Um, uh, mesh using fishing wire and, and it can become hard and brittle and, um, it's, it's like almost sandpaper, um, in the body and causing, um, you know, such pain. And so for, you know, women that have had these procedures and they are experiencing, um, uh, whether it's a chronic infection, um, uh, they're just having serial, urinary tract infections and they don't know why and maybe their doctor hasn't associated mesh um, or they're having pain even down their legs or painful intercourse and and don't know why Um, then if they've had a mesh-based procedure like a stress urinary incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse procedure I would urge them to uh, see a urogynecologist and um and and to find out if in fact the symptoms they're experiencing are associated with the mesh either um protruding into an organ like the bladder or the rectum or possibly um um eroding into um the vaginal wall well you know there's no question that uh, women are going to be exploring especially those who who hear about this are going to be exploring those options for themselves and trying to find the cause the root cause of all that uh before before we go lee we're constantly hearing stories like this uh complications arising out of medical devices and oftentimes uh, pharmaceuticals what do you what do you say needs to change out there whether it's FDA approval processing or whether it's uh, just manufacturers being a little more cognizant of uh, the impact of what they're producing what is the what is the main thrust of what you see has to change in order to prevent some of these incidents I I, th- I think a, uh, two things I would suggest is a uh, complete um, reformation of the approval process uh, for medical devices. Uh, medical devices have not gotten the same kind of attention, it's, it seems, from a pre-marketing clinical testing uh, perspective as, say, some of the drugs have. And and I believe that that process of, of putting a device on the market only using a 510K process needs to be revisited um, at the sort of the regulatory level. And I think second to that, uh, what we're seeing is that manufacturers uh, had significant amount of information about the true rate of uh, adverse events among um, women who had mesh-based procedures. And that information um, was not being conveyed accurately or 
uh, thoroughly to um, physicians who are using the products. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that needs to be addressed in order to prevent this in the future. Yeah, I was going to say it, it's, a, it's a problem that uh, needs to be corrected. I think there's some political implications in all of that and, uh, and perhaps, uh, you know, philosophies. Uh, perhaps part of it is lobbying efforts, et cetera. But, uh, you know, it's a big problem. And uh, I know that a lot of the litigation that's arising out of these cases is helping to formulate some of those corrective actions. Well, litigation in this instance, um, I'm very hopeful as, as well as some others, but here that because of some of um, the way this has been handled by um, the medical device manufacturing uh, industry, that maybe that this litigation will hold them accountable for some of those decisions and uh, for women who've had these products or having um, these issues because of what was known and what was not conveyed to the medical community as well as to patients, um, women, um, I would encourage women to explore their their um, legal options um, in relation to the product. Well, there's no question about that. And I think anyone listening today that wants to explore those legal options uh, has a place to go. And that's that's clear to you. If someone wanted to get in touch with you, Lee, how would they, how would they do that? Um, 1-800-898. 2034, and then we're on the web, www.beasleyallen.com, and my web, my um, email address, excuse me, is there, and, and we'd love to talk with any woman about um, what they've gone through and, and how we might be of assistance to them. Great. And Heather, if someone wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, I can be reached at my, my phone number, is 205-915-8399, or you can always go to the Ringler website and find me there, H. Anderson at ringlerassociates.com. Well, that's very true, and uh, you can reach any Ringler Associate on ringlerassociates.com. I encourage you to go to the website. It's recently been redesigned. It's got a lot of great information. And uh, you can also listen to Ringler Radio shows by accessing ringlerassociates.com and clicking on the Ringler Radio link. Uh, We've had uh, literally hundreds of shows on a lot of great topics uh, just like this one and uh, with some great, great guests like Lee O'Dell. And Lee, I want to thank you again for joining us. Uh, Good luck in your... uh, in your processing and prosecuting of these cases, uh, it's a lot of, you're, you're working on behalf of a lot of women out there, I'm sure, that uh, need, need the help in this instance. So good luck to you. Thanks so much. Good to be with you. Good to be with you. And, uh, and for the rest of you out there, I just want to say go out and have a great day. Thanks. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating its seventh year on Legal Talk Network with over a million listeners. Ringler Associates, the first name in structured settlements. Visit ringlerassociates.com today. Today.